Hi everyone, Grace here. And before we get into this week's episode, I wanted to tell you about a handy tool we've launched here at Witch to help you spend your money wisely, especially handy with Black Friday on the way. We've launched our great value badge to help tell you the products, appliances, gadgets and tech that are excellent deals. This means that our lab-tested reviews tell you not only the highest performing products, but also which ones are the best value. They might not always score quite as highly as our best buys, but they still do their core job very well and give you the bang for buck that you're after. If you want to know more, I've popped a link in the description for today's episode. Now, on to this week's podcast. Amazon. It's easily the world's largest online retailer. Now, be honest with yourself. How many times in a month or a week do you find yourself ordering things on it? I do it pretty regularly because it's just so convenient. For a bit of background, Amazon began its life as an online bookstore in 1994 in a garage in the Seattle suburbs. Since then, the company's grown to a position where it's predicted to turn an eye-watering $730 billion profit in 2022. So as we approach the busiest shopping period of the year, how does this e-commerce giant keep up with demand? Amazon deals with millions of orders every single minute across the globe. And today, we've been granted entry to a distribution site here in the UK to find out firsthand just how they managed to do it. We're also going to ask some uncomfortable questions about the impact events like Black Friday have on society, the high street and the planet, and whether the event might be losing its buzz. I'm Grace Farrell, and this week's Witch Investigates asks, who does Black Friday really benefit? Investigates is brought to you by the UK's Consumer Champion. We work to make life simpler, fairer and safer for everyone. We've got new episodes out every fortnight, diving deeper into the issues that matter. If you've got something you'd like us to investigate, give us a shout on social at WitchUK or email us at podcasts at witch.co.uk. Coming up. I look at how Black Friday transitioned from the high street to the web. I think before there was a surge in the internet and the online shopping facility, you could see a lot of the high streets really gearing up for this. That sort of coming soon type message and the big splashes in the windows, trying to get the shoppers in, ready to open the doors and get those loss leading bargains out there to try and increase the footfall and increase their overall sales. I discover the sneaky tactics that retailers employ to part us with our cash. When they're being bombarded with many advertising and it sounds so attractive, there's a a psychology of fear of missing out. And that fear of missing out, thinking that if they don't take that deal, they probably will miss out something. And what if, or in case, that I might need that product or service later, 
And we go behind the scenes to find out exactly how Amazon operates on such a massive scale. The red scanner scans the parcel and it knows what time it should have got here to go in the back of a truck, to leave on time, to get to you on time, to meet our commitment when you press buy now, when you place the order. The clock's changed a couple of weeks back. The nights are drawing in and it won't be long until my Christmas jumper comes out of hibernation. I've got a Christmas shopping list the length of my arm. And what better way to start ticking it off than with a bang on Black Friday? There's just one thing putting me off. And it's that which research shows the so-called bargains we think we're nabbing in mid-November are often anything but. I'll have more on that later. First, though, here's a stat for you. In 2021, UK shoppers spent almost £9.5 billion on Black Friday, up £1.5 billion on the previous year. Figures have been climbing steeply since Black Friday first spread across the pond from the USA. Depending on who you talk to, the first time Black Friday happened in the UK was either in 2010 when Amazon, shocker, did a big November sale, or it was in 2013 when Asda, which is owned by the US retail giant Walmart, slashed the prices of appliances in its stores. Certainly Black Friday's a, a US import, a bit like uh, Halloween turning into trick or treat in the UK. It's come from the sales after Thanksgiving, which occurred and the big mad rush for some of those events. Also on the back of some of the big football games, which were over there at the time, we had the slightly negative connotation about it being called Black Friday in a, because of the concerns over the crowds and, and everything going on there to manage that taking place. And the UK has really taken it to its heart. This is Dr Lawrence Bellamy. He's a dean in the Faculty of Business, Law and Tourism at the University of Sunderland. He's not wrong about the UK's enthusiasm for Black Friday. See if you remember this news report from the BBC's Emma Simpson back in 2016. It may be the season for goodwill, but there wasn't much sign of it here. Within seconds, shoppers at this Asda store in northwest London were fighting for a bargain. I don't know about you, but I vividly remember scenes like that happening up and down the country. I'm fascinated by the psychology around events like this and the tactics that retailers use to lure us into their stores. To learn more about it, I hopped on a call with Dr. Dong Huang. She's a senior lecturer in marketing at Lees Beckett University. I think it's quite a big event for any retailer's calendars because it runs up to Christmas. So a lot of retailers want to try to encourage a shopper to shop early. When they're being bombarded with many advertising and it sounds so attractive, there's a, a psychology of fear of missing out. And that fear of missing out, thinking that if they don't take that deal, they probably will miss out something. And what if, or in case, that I might need that product or service later? The fear of missing out, or FOMO, is actually a scientific reaction that can hold a lot of sway. 
According to various studies, words like sale, deal and bargain trigger the natural reward systems in our brain. We get a pleasant feeling when we hear those words and are more likely to ignore the more sensible and boring part of our brain that's assessing whether we really need to buy the item. The desirability to upgrade and buy things which you wouldn't buy on a weekly basis, of course, but you might buy once a year, once every couple of years. I've always got the question, is that bargain really as much of a bargain as you think or could you get it down the road a little bit just as cheaply? Dr Bellamy is on to something here at which we analysed 214 of last year's Black Friday deals at seven major home and tech retailers, looking at their prices every day in the six months before and after sale day. We found a massive 98% of products were cheaper or the same as their Black Friday price at other times in the year. Now, the brains behind that investigation, which journalist Ellie Simmons, will be joining us later in today's episode. Since the BBC report we heard earlier, there's been a monumental shift in our Black Friday spending habits. Over the last few years, shopping events like this have moved online and the majority of purchases now happen virtually. Of the £9.5 billion that were spent last year, almost two thirds of it was over the internet. And it's quite interesting, if you look generationally, there are those people who really do still like to get out and do the shopping in person there and have the experience of rooting around for the bargains and seeing what's available, having spotted some things which are being promoted. But there's also, I think, a generation in there which are quite happy to try and push the online pursuit of those opportunities too. So it's not uniform, I think, in terms of how it's being received and how people are responding to it. It's no doubt in my mind that, of course, all those bricks and mortar sales are not going to get bounced back totally from where they were online. It's really stuck and there has been, due to the pandemic, a step change in shopping behaviour. Like many of the habits we had to adopt over the pandemic, the convenience afforded by online shopping is hard to come back from. And it's easier than ever to get in on the action. You see, Black Friday is no longer just one day. Oh no, the offers spread over multiple weeks and sometimes last the entire month of November. And with so many of us on social media, there are more channels now for retailers to push their ads on. Because consumers engage in social media, there's a lot more different touch points that retailers can get contact with consumers to promote their products and their promotions. So what does this mean for physical stores who aren't able to keep pace with giants like Amazon? To the high street, it's still extremely important. If you look at the volume of sales, the primary source of their surplus for the year, that's where they can take their total sales above where they need to be to cover all their expenses and put them in that profit position. So for those bricks and mortar organisations, it is critical. They need to do a very good job about their promotions in what is a very, very tough market where they go head to head with the online. Last year, PricewaterhouseCooper reported that 50 stores were closing their doors every single day, a figure which will no doubt have risen since the cost of living crisis and spiralling energy bills began to take hold. But what exactly does the cost of living crisis mean for Black Friday this year? 
Here's what Dr. Huang thinks. I remember a few years back when I was in a classroom teaching students right on the day of Black Friday at noontime, and then I saw many of my students didn't focus on the lessons at all, and they was looking at their phone and like a, a button on the puzzle, thinking about I'm going to buy this piece of clothing right now in the middle of the lessons. I was so thinking about how come. People were so excited and looking forward to that. I don't see that sentiment is now as much as they have been in the past few years. It's a bit of a puzzling picture because a fifth of shoppers are planning to spend less this year, but that still leaves eighty percent of us who aren't. And it's predicted that the average UK shopper will spend two hundred and eighty-three pounds over the Black Friday weekend. That's a 25% increase on last year. And with the vast majority of purchases taking place online, there's one particular retailer who's laughing all the way to the bank. We'll be entering the glittering gates of Amazon after this. Hi there, Harry from Witch here. Our research has found that millions of families are skipping meals to survive the cost of living crisis. And our figures show that over 8 in 10 people in the UK are having to make adjustments to save money on food. With the price of essential products soaring, we believe that supermarkets have to step up to the plate to help us all. That's why we've launched the Affordable Food for All campaign calling on the big supermarkets to take action and make a real difference to communities across the UK. If you agree and would like to join our campaign, then sign our petition at which.co.uk slash affordable dash food and use the hashtag affordable food for all on social media. Thank you. This week on Witch Investigates, we're jumping off the web and into the tangible world of Amazon distribution as it gears up for the Black Friday weekend. If you're hoping to make some purchases, we'll also have advice on how to spot the genuinely good deals amongst the ripoffs. For the rest of this episode, I'll be joined by producer Rob and witch journalist Ellie Simmons. Hello there. Hi, Grace. Hi, Grace. Hey, how are you doing? Good, thanks. Yeah, really good, thank you. Just having a chat to you from the from the busy today witch office, actually. So yeah, nice to chat. Okay, well, I wanted to talk to you about your visit to the Amazon Distribution Centre. And the, the thing that's in my mind is how big is it? Because I'm sure it's big, but I want to get a proper sense of the place. What did you think of it? So I was looking at some of the stats. I think it's the size of six and a half football pitches, It's almost 550,000 square feet in size, just to give you an idea of the sheer scale of the thing. It's on four different levels, so times that 547,000, which is the precise figure, by four. So 2 million plus square feet, the size of this thing. If you go over the Dartford Crossing, by the way, you cannot miss it. I mean, I'm not sort of wrong there, am I, Ellie, in terms of the, the scale of it? No, it's enormous. It's absolutely massive. So yeah, you can see it from the Dartford crossing and it's it's literally right by the River Thames. So you you can see big commercial boats going on the river on the estuary right past the warehouse. I think it's on the site of a former power station that's been decommissioned. 
So do you know how many people work there? It's about 2,000, which sounds like a lot. But then when you walk around the warehouse, it doesn't feel like there are many people, I think, because of the sheer size of the place. 2,000 people are absorbed quite easily into it. So what can we expect then from your escapade to Amazon? Yeah, well, after we arrived and we dried off a little bit, we were given a bit of a tour of the warehouse by a brilliant man. So he's called Neil. He's Neil Travis. He's Director of Operations at Amazon. And we're going to hear from him over the course of our little tour around the warehouse. I say little tour, it's not little at all. As we've already said, we did a lot of steps and my feet ached a lot. But yeah, we're going to start where the products come into the building, where they're being stored. And we're going to follow them on their journey until they then have to leave the building again. We're going to see all sorts of brilliant things, but this is how things started. You know, if you think about a traditional warehouse that you might imagine, you've got a, like a car and you walk up to the shelf and you walk back and then you, you, know, you do all of that. It takes an awful lot of time. And of course, in order for us to meet that speed expectation of our customers, it's all about how do we use the technology to help us do that more efficiently. So as opposed to me walking down to the shelves, the shelves come to me. The gap between the actual pods, as we call them, is about, what, 15, 20 centimeters? In a normal warehouse, if you go to a supermarket or a normal warehouse, I've got to have a wide aisle because I've got to be able to pass you safely, you've got to come past me safely. And what this allows us to do is in the same floor space, I can hold 50% more items because I get all of that aisleways, all those walkways back. In terms of the items that are stored, is it the same type of product will be in the same storage or not? It's totally, it's what we call random stow. And a lot of people struggle to understand that. Let me, let me show you the lady here. So basically, what she's essentially doing is taking an item from a tote if it's the first time it's been in a building, it goes through a process called Cubiscan. And that measures the cubic dimensions and the weight of the item so that it then knows the shape and the size, the different bins within the pods, what the software has done. Because when we receive items downstairs, we're scanning that item into this tote, which has a barcode. And what happens is the software knows the mix of the size of the products within the totes and then it knows based on the three floors I've got of because the next two floors are exactly the same as this just robotic storage it knows where's the optimal floor that's got the best mix of available space for these size of items and then it's moving it to those floors and to the sides of the building and then all the lady now needs to do is scan that item and then basically find an appropriate space within one of the bins that can hold that item. Right. Can we just start by explaining what a bin is? Is it a bin in the sense of what we think of as a bin or is this a special Amazon bin? Yeah, now this is a special Amazon thing. And I think Neil said pod as well. So when he says pod, he means kind of a, a stack of shelves. So this is where the items are all stored on. When he says bin, a bin is almost like a little pocket on those shelves. So you'd have a pod and on that pod, you would have several bins. I don't know if that's any clearer. Hopefully it is. I mean, the image I'm getting in my head then is that it's just this vast but quite flat 
world where there's really narrow aisles with robots going up and down the aisles. Is that kind of correct? Yeah. So that is right. There are wide aisles and they call them superhighways. So that's where the pods go down on the robots and move about. So there are some really narrow aisles, but then there are also much wider aisles for superhighways where kind of the work gets done and the movement happens. Might also be worth saying as well that around the edge of the warehouse is where the people walk and it's so big that there are bikes that workers can pick up and ride along you know pedal bikes just in order to get somewhere a bit quicker because it's such a huge place. Wow so are people allowed into the centre or are they only allowed around the edge? Wow this is something that me and Ellie were lucky enough to see because you don't often see people in the center as you as, as, as you as you've put it there that is where the robots live and we got Neil to tell us a little bit more about the robots and how they move everything around that warehouse these are these are the robots so they've just got wheels so just describe those robots for us they're small blue they're almost like a it's like a mini truck isn't it kind of carrying yeah. the shelves and 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 all of the, they've got basically wheels and then they've got a hydraulic ram and then they move around in 90 degree angles, basically. These barcodes on the floor, they're basically QR codes and each of them are uniquely addressed. So they've each got a license plate, basically. Then they, they basically represent a point on the robotic floor. And then the robots themselves have got a camera facing down and they've got a camera facing up. So basically, it's a bit like driving around the US. So you go from 4th to 7th Street and then you go right on West Ave kind of thing. And all they do is they just go in straight lines and right angles. Grace, you mentioned earlier on, do we ever get people in the centre? So where the pods are? The answer is yes, but very, very rarely. So if something falls off those shelves then it obviously creates a problem because potentially then the other shelves can't get around. So what happens is a very highly qualified person with a very special jacket that emits radio waves is then allowed into the centre, but only when they know it's safe to do so. And because this person is wearing the jacket, the shelves know that there is someone there and then the person can go in, pick up the item that's fallen off the shelves and then go back out again. So it's honestly, it is very technological, but it's very impressive to see. So that's the inside of the centre. Did you look anywhere else? Yeah, so that was what happens when items come in just before they're about to get packaged. That's how they're kind of organised. We'll get to packaging those items up shortly. But yeah, we went onto the roof, Grace. Now, this was very exciting because there was a special reason we were up there. And also, me and Ellie delighted that the rain had stopped by this point, but it was still quite windy. It was absolutely chucking it down and windy and gusting earlier. And I'm like, are you sure you want to go on the roof? But you do get that sense of scale and perspective from up here because you do get that real bird's eye view that you don't really get within the building. Because obviously we've got you know, all the, the robots and the pods and so forth there. We're on the roof and one of the main features of the roof is this vast amount of, of solar panels that we've got up here. Do you mind telling us a bit more about that? Yeah, of course. I mean, again, we've been really focusing on how do we make our buildings far more energy efficient? Uh, really going back to our climate pledge, uh, again, to become carbon neutral by, I think it's 2040. And this is a huge installation here. It's 8,000 
individual solar panels and that makes a tremendous contribution towards the energy consumption of our buildings. So this launched with them and we've also been fitting these to a number of our older buildings when this technology wasn't really readily available. Just to go back and retrofit that technology so we can make best use of it as well as a whole different series of measures that we can show you in the building around our commitment to sustainability. Right, so he mentions what 8000 solar panels. I mean that is that's massive, but so is the fulfillment center and then when you think about Amazon's carbon footprint in general, it's absolutely huge. So what were the other things that Neil mentioned about their sustainability plans? Yeah, I mean if you think of as you said there Grace, the scale of the place, then actually 8000 solar panels fit very nicely onto the roof and there's a lot of excess space where I'm sure they could probably pop some more up there if they needed to. But there are other things that that Amazon are doing to try and meet that sustainability pledge. They did mention wind power, which is something that they utilise a lot. It's safe to say that Amazon are one of the biggest consumers of, of wind power and wind energy here in the UK as well. So that is another renewable that they are harnessing to help power their fulfillment centres and and the rest of, of obviously the whole production line. And then Ellie, there was there was mention, wasn't there, but not many details about electric vehicles as well. Yeah, they definitely said that they used electric vehicles, although we didn't get an awful lot of extra detail on that. I mean, you say it's, well, I, I sort of commented that it sounds like it's very sparsely populated by people, which is odd because, I mean, we're in November now. We are approaching Black Friday. Is this not one of the busiest times in the year for them? Well, that's something I asked Neil about when we were back inside, back in the warm of the building, because as you say, we didn't see many people, but were they going to get more people in for what is a very, very busy time for them? Our busy period comes in two cycles. And obviously, um, in order to ship all the items within those, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and then on the run up to Christmas, we need to bring the items in. So we're almost in what we call our inbound peak, where all of the things that we've ordered are actually coming into our buildings, getting distributed around the network, and then are getting stored into the pods in preparation for then the the orders being placed by our customers for it then to get picked and shipped out. Wow. So can we talk about packaging? Because this is something that I... To be honest, I, I feel a little bit uneasy sometimes about the amount of packaging I get when I when I order things from Amazon. So did you see sort of how things are packaged? We certainly did. Now, Ellie, actually, you had a go at this, didn't you? So let's have a listen first. And then, and then Grace, maybe you can uh, grill Ellie on exactly what that packaging process is like. So we scan the item. It tells us the best, most optimal fit of a box for that item because we measured it when we we got the item into the building and and uh, and above kind of in front of us where we are we've got these different box types size boxes suitable for all the different size products that we've got within the building and again we put it in the appropriate box and then we basically seal it off put it onto the conveyor and then it moves again around the building using the conveyance to go to the next stage, which is where we apply the shipping label. One of the most important parts of that process is this barcode label, isn't it? Because of the information that that holds. Well, I'd say the most important part is what the gentleman is doing, which you're probably not realizing, is he's doing what we call a four-sided inspection. So he's checking the product to make sure there's no damage, so that when you get the item, it's in perfect working order and there's no damage to the item. 
But yes, what we then do is that we basically apply what we call a spool label, and that essentially is just a unique sequential barcode that links that order to that particular box. So it sounds like there's more human supervision at this point in the process. Is that right? Yeah. So this this bit of the process did feel quite hands-on, although it is still automated as well. So I had a go at, I think they call it pack singles, which is the orders where you have just one item in a box. So, you know, not someone that's ordered lots of things to come to their house, but where they've just ordered one thing. So I kind of took my place at the, the workstation and a tote, one of these big black tubs, comes down the conveyor belt. You take out an item from the tote. You scan it using something you know similar to what you would see at a supermarket checkout. And then on the screen in front of you, it comes up with which box to put it in. So the system knows the exact dimensions of that item and which box is the optimal box to put it in. So then we go on to the final part of, of the packaging, don't we, where, where I guess the labelling happens and, and it's eventually shipped out. Is that right? Yeah. So after someone like Ellie puts the package on the conveyor belt, after it has been placed inside its correct box, this is where it goes next. And this is its final destination before it then gets shipped out across the country. So if you see the, the, red, the red scanner here, so this is a bit like an airport scanner, isn't it? Kind of. Yeah, sort of. What it's doing is the items come down. And if you remember, all I've got is my spoon. And that's just a unique barcode associated with that order. The reason that that's important, going back to the shipping label, it's all about our commitment to our customers. So the scanner there, the red scanner, scans the parcel and it knows what time it should have got here to go in the back of a truck to leave on time to get to you on time to meet our commitment when you press buy now when you place the order and the reason that that's important is that if for whatever reason it got delayed or it got stuck somewhere it got here late then we will upgrade the transport method to put it on a quicker transport mode to meet our original promised delivery commitment to you. As it scans it, checks whether it got here on time, it does a weight check. You see the scales at the back? The reason that's important is it knows the weight of the item that you've ordered or the items that you've ordered. It knows the weight of the box that it's asked you to be put in. It knows broadly if I need to put some dunnage to fill it out, to stop it rolling around and getting damaged. knows the weight of that. If it's too heavy, probably means I've put too many things in. You're going to get, or if it's too light, it means I might have missed something off. You might have ordered two things. I've only put one thing in. In which case, it will kick it out, and then someone will then unpack it, and they'll check it, and they'll verify that it's got the right items in it. Otherwise, it will carry on through. And then once it's confirmed or it's changed the delivery method, it then uses SLAM, which is Scan, Label, Apply, Manifest, to then apply a delivery address and it blows it onto, so it doesn't touch the box, it uses air to blow it onto the actual package itself. It goes again on the conveyance, it goes on what we call a shipping sorter, where that will basically go to a number of different destinations, where there will basically be multiple different destinations and it will go down into a chute 
and then get loaded into the back of a trailer and then onto either a salt centre or a delivery station. Right. So that kind of answers the question I had before about how everything kind of leaves the centre. Yeah, so it goes to a delivery station from this point, from the warehouse, and then that is when it is then placed in that van that then turns up at your front door. Well, thank you, Rob. And if you could hang around for a little bit longer, Ellie, that would be brilliant. So, Ellie, I know Witch is working on a piece at the moment that's debunking some of the offers that people see around Black Friday. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, so every year we do um, a really big piece of research looking at Black Friday deals. And what we do is we look at the Black Friday deals that were around the previous year and then using the access that we've got to a big pricing database, we look to see if those deals were really as good as they kind of appeared at the time of the previous Black Friday. So, for example, this year we've looked at Black Friday deals from last year, from 2021, and we've looked at the price of them six months before Black Friday and six months afterwards to see if that price that was shouted about on Black Friday really was one of the better prices or if actually when you look at the pricing across the year as a whole whether those prices were actually pretty run of the mill and it seems like this is this is just a huge huge problem i mean we're we're finding i think it was 98% of black friday deals were the same price or cheaper six months later when we did the research a few years ago. So are there any kind of red flags that you can look out for? Any kind of wording on these deals that might suggest that they're they're fake? I think generally the best advice is to be wary of all deals, particularly the ones that say now X amount was a previous amount, you know. So, for example, the ones that say now £100 was £200. They're the type of deals that you get on Black Friday generally. And our research generally shows that those figures are true. You know, usually there is a kind of previous price that was higher, but often that previous price was only around for a few days or a couple of weeks. Sometimes it was only around four or five months prior Often that previous price comes back again a week after Black Friday or even just a couple of days after Black Friday. So while in technical terms, those was prices are true, they're not necessarily a great indicator of the kind of typical selling price of a product, which is actually, as a shopper, what you really want to know, isn't it? Rather than, you know, some spurious price a couple of months ago, what you want to know is generally what does this product what price does this product sell at? And and is the price you're offering me today or on Black Friday, is that better than it usually is? Yeah. And just you've done so much work on this. In your opinion, are there deals to be had on Black Friday at all? So there are deals to be had. You know, as a as an individual, I have shopped on Black Friday and got good deals. There are deals to be had. And, I, you know, it's not right to say that every single deal isn't a great deal, but you have to really sift through the rubbish deals to find the ones that are good, you know. And a good way to do that is to kind of plan ahead, to know what kind of thing you want to buy and to have an idea in your head of, of what it usually costs. And then you know on Black Friday, whether the deal that you see seems to be a good deal. So, you know, if you're after, let's say, you know, a particular smart speaker, you know, the usual selling price at a number of big retailers. And then on Black Friday, you see it for less than that price that you've been watching for a few weeks. And you then you know that that's a decent deal. You know, it might not be the best deal, 
but you know at least that that it is a deal and it's a pretty good deal and you're saving money on what you may have spent a few weeks prior. So I think the best thing to do is to to monitor prices yourself across multiple websites, you know, different retailers and across a decent length of time as well. There are places, websites that can help you with checking the price history, websites such as Price Runner or Price Spy. There's one called Camel, Camel, Camel that shows you stuff on Amazon and what their price history is. So if you haven't been kind of organized enough to check the price history yourself as time has gone on, you can always go on one of these websites or apps to check the pricing history. But I think the best advice is to be wary of all offers and and to do as much research as you're able. Well, thanks, Ellie. That's really good advice. Thanks, Grace. It's been great to, to come on. A huge thank you to Ellie for joining us. And it was great to hear producer Rob on the show as well this week. As we end today's investigation, I'm trying to think about what the future of Black Friday might look like. Corporations like Amazon are built to meet our demand for convenience and our desire to have whatever we want to buy whenever we want it. So perhaps we should be looking inwards and taking a more critical view of our own attitude towards consumerism. As people become more conscious of their spending habits because of the cost of living crisis, the fact that bargains we're seeing aren't actually bargains at all, or maybe because all those plastic and cardboard packages that continue to land on our doorsteps are making us feel a bit uneasy about our role in climate change. I'm left wondering, who does Black Friday really benefit? And is it still relevant? I think it is still relevant in so much as it signals the start of a season of spending. It's not the great offering it perhaps once was when those retailers were really driving that desire in trying to get people to break down the doors and grab those bargains, fighting over a few of these fantastic offers. If it was me going shopping, as I say, I wouldn't rush out and buy anything I didn't really, really want at that time. I'd be quite happy to bide my time and buy it when it's right for me at the price that's right for me. Well, that from Dr Bellamy sounds like good advice to me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Witch Investigates. Now, if you've got any ideas for niggling consumer questions that we could investigate, especially in the run-up to Christmas, give us a shout on social media or over email. Our email address is podcasts at witch.co.uk. If you're enjoying our podcast, please do leave us a rating and a review. We've also got other podcasts, the Witch Money Pod and Witch Shorts, that you can check out wherever you're listening. And one last thing, I'd also recommend subscribing to our free email newsletters. They're genuinely useful and are packed with money-saving and sustainability tips to help you become a more conscious consumer. Find them at witch.co.uk forward slash newsletters. Today's episode was presented by me, Grace Farrell, written and produced by Rob Lilly. Editing and original music is by Eric Breer. And our executive producer is Angus Farker. Special thanks this week go to Ellie Simmons, the retail team, and everyone else here at Witch. And I'll be back soon for our next investigation. 